Good morning, Faith Bible Fellowship Church. It is wonderful to see all of your smiling faces here today as we start week two in our study of the book of Jude. Today we'll be in Jude, verses 8 through 16. Now, if you weren't with us last week, the good news is I can quickly get you caught up this morning. Jude opened his letter last week by calling Christians to contend for the faith. For those who were with us last week, I hope you remember at least that. He said, for certain people have crept into the church. False teachers who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and who deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And Jude went on, he said, just as a certain generation of Israel was destroyed for their unbelief, just as some angels were punished for their rebellion, just as Sodom and Gomorrah was judged for their sexual immorality, God too will judge false teachers. And he will deal justly with those who follow those false teaching and for unbelievers as a whole. Thus, because of this future judgment, we as Christians, we must contend for the faith in a way that is bold, in a way that is clear, in a way that is loving, and in a way that is merciful, praying that God gives these false teachers, that he gives these people caught up in false teaching and unbelievers as a whole the grace they need to repent and to trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But as we will see today, the problem in dealing with false teachers, the obstacle that we need to overcome, is that often false teachers, they think too highly of themselves. I read a joke this week about an FBI agent who went onto the property of an old farmer And he said to the farmer, I need to inspect your property. There's been a complaint of some illegal action taking place here. And the farmer says, okay, inspect whatever you want, but please do not go over there. The FBI agent responded furiously and said, do you know that I have the power of authority with me? And he takes out his badge from his pocket, shows it to the farmer, and says, this badge gives me the authority to go wherever I want. And I do not need to ask permission from everyone. Do you understand? Is that clear? The farmer very politely apologized and went back to what he was doing. A few minutes later, the farmer heard a scream and saw the FBI agent running to save his life, being pursued by the biggest bull on the farm. With each step, the bull got closer and closer, so the farmer dropped his tools, ran over to the fence, and screamed at the top of his lungs, Your badge! Show him your badge! (laughs) It is an obvious illustration that we, church, get ourselves in trouble when we think too highly of ourselves. But these false teachers, church, they not only think too highly of themselves, They see themselves as authoritative. They are self-centered. They are self-regarding. They are self-absorbed. They are self-obsessed. They submit only to self, and they reject submitting to Jesus Christ. 
Thus, our main theme of the sermon this morning, the thesis that we will be working through today is this. False teachers, they see themselves as authoritative and thus seek to gratify their own flesh and they deceive with empty promises. However, it is only Christ who is authoritative over all and those who reject his authority will be condemned. Again, false teachers, they see themselves as authoritative and they seek to gratify their own flesh and deceive with empty promises. However, it is only Christ who is authoritative over all and those who reject his authority, they will be condemned. Our sermon this morning comes from the book of Jude. We will be looking at verses 8 through 16 this morning. I highly recommend you following along in the scriptures this morning as well. Jude, verses 8 through 16, Jude writes, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they have walked in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for who the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It is also about these that Enoch... The seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, Following their own sinful desires, they are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your Son, Jesus Christ, and his redemptive work on the cross this morning. Lord, we see clearly from your text that you are a holy God. And there is wrath for the ungodly. Father, we stand here in all of your perfection. We stand here in all of your righteousness, in all of your holiness. Father, thank you for giving us this word. Thank you for giving us this revelation, for sharing with us who you are and how we as sinners can be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray we flee from any false teaching that may fit into our own sinful desires. Let us flee. Let us know that they are rubbish. 
Father, let us seek you above all else. Let us seek Christ above all else, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our sermon this morning has three points. And we will start with the first point this morning in verses 8 through 10. Which is, how do we identify false teachers? You look for individuals who see themselves as authoritative and who fail to submit to the authority of Christ. Verses 8 through 10, it says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand, inst- understand instinctively. Jude starts off saying, yet in like manner, just like we learned last week, these false teachers, just like unbelieving Israel, just like the sexually immoral Sodom and Gomorrah, just like the rebellious angels that we read about last week, false teachers, they do the exact same thing. It says they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now why does this come up so consistently amongst false teachers? That they defile the flesh, that they reject authority, and they blaspheme others, even the glorious ones. And we see here from the text, it is because they rely on their dreams. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And that is exactly what is happening here. These false teachers... They reject the word of God. They reject the very revelation of God. And where it is rejected, church, we see that people perish. These false teachers, they follow their own desires. They rely on their dreams then, their subjective visions, their senses to validate and defend their own sinful and ungodly lifestyles. They put themselves on a pedestal and they see themselves as authoritative. And rather than submitting to the word of God, they reject it. And this lack of submission is not just a thought or it is not just a belief that they have, but it impacts every action then of their life. We see in verse 9 that it says, But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people, these false teachers, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. And here in verse 9, we come to another difficult passage of Scripture to grasp or understand. Now, when we look at 9 and 10 together, the application is pretty straightforward. But the text itself in verse 9 particularly is difficult 
is because most scholars believe the event that is alluded to in verse 9, it's not found in the Scriptures, but instead it is found in a Jewish work called the Assumption of Moses, or the Testament of Moses. And now before we get up in arms about Jude quoting from a non-biblical resource, there's three things I'd like you to remember. Number one, Paul did the same thing. In Acts chapter 17, he quotes from pagan poets and philosophers to make his point. Remember, number two, that all truth is God's truth, even truth revealed to us outside of Scripture. We affirm the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe that everything in the Scriptures are true. They are infallible. But God has also revealed to his created order additional truths that we see outside of Scripture. So just because God reveals a truth outside of Scripture, all truth is still God's truth. And number three, remember that an author of Scripture... He can quote or use a passage or resource outside of Scripture. But that does not mean that he is affirming everything within that resource to be true. Just the text that he is using. And because of that, Jim Shaddix points out that we can trust the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Jude. Thus the question we should be asking is what then does he the Holy Spirit, want us to learn from this fascinating event that we see in verse 9. And here's the event. We see that the archangel Michael and Satan were contending, they were having a conflict over the body of Moses. Now why they were doing that? There are many theories that are out there. The main one being that Satan wanted to use it as a relic to lead the Jewish people into idolatry. But here's the point of the text. While Michael and Satan are contending, while they're fighting over the body of Moses, during the fight, Michael did not, even as the archangel, rail judgments against Satan, even as great, even as mighty, even as powerful as Michael was, he still knew that he was part of the created order. And it is only the creator, it is only God himself who can execute judgment on all the creation. No creature can execute judgment on the creation. It is only the creator, God himself, who can execute judgment on the creation. And Michael, knowing his place within the Creator, said to Satan, another creation, the Lord rebuke you. And as William Barclay lays out, if the greatest of good angels refuse to speak evil of the greatest of evil angels, even in circumstances like this, then surely no human being may speak evil of any angel. But these false teachers, church, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. These false teachers, church, they let their mouths run wild. They will speak evil. 
They will rail against, they will slander, they will blaspheme, they will judge everyone and everything, even if they don't understand it. A lack of understanding will not stop a false teacher because they, like wild animals, they don't need understanding, they don't need reason, they don't need submission. They simply follow their own savage desires. If they smell something they like, they go after it. If they hear something they like, they go after it. And these false teachers are the same way. Like unreasoning animals, they understand instinctively. In a story that appeared in the New York Times, the headline read, Guard Dog Wax 100 Teddy Bears. It read that a guard dog ransacked a teddy bear museum in western England in the summer of 2006. Barney, a Doberman pincher, went berserk, shredding about a hundred teddy bears that were on display. Barney's handler, Greg West, speculated that the dog went after a rogue or some appealing, mischievous scent. West said he spent several minutes chasing Barney before he could finally wrestle him to the ground and end the carnage. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, like Barney, the dog, false teachers, they do not submit to their master. They do not listen to reason. But in thinking so highly of themselves, they only follow their own lustful desires. Which takes us to point two this morning. False teachers, then, they gratify their flesh by seeking selfish gain, even if that means deceiving others. False teachers, they gratify their flesh by seeking selfish gain even if that means church deceiving you. Jude 11 through 13. It says, Woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. In verse 11, Jude says that these false teachers, they have walked in the way of Cain, who in Genesis 4, we know, rose up and killed his brother, Abel. And in the same way, these false teachers, they are prideful, they are jealous, and they hate and seek to destroy the faithful. They abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. They seek personal gain from their ministry like Balaam, who in Numbers 31 was charged with leading Israel into sexual immorality in exchange for money. As Dr. Charles Seville puts, Balaam was the prototype of all greedy religionists who led God's people into false religion and immorality. That's a bad prototype to be. And these false teachers, they follow along those lines. 
and they perish finally in Korah's rebellion, who in number 16, Korah defied God. He revolted and rejected God's appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. And likewise, the false teachers, they reject God's authority and they resist and oppose church leaders as well. They seek to gratify their flesh by seeking selfish gain, church. Even if that means they have to deceive you. We see in verse 12 that they're hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. They are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. They are shepherds who come into the church and say, yes, we will feed you, church. And yet they only feed themselves. They are clouds who come into the church and say, oh, we will provide water for you and yet they are waterless. They are trees that come into the church and say, we have much fruit, and yet they are dead, and they are barren. They are deceptive. They are self-pleasing. They make whatever false promises they need to make to get you to follow them. It is a tactic we still see consistently today. Be on guard, church. In 2015, the Huffington Post reported that a pastor had reportedly convinced his congregants that his holy pens could make students pass their exams. And get this, the more that they would pay for them, the better grades they would get. Prophet, Prophet Shem Hungwe of House of Grace International Church is selling pens which cost anywhere from $1 to $20. The prophet told his congregation, he told the congregation, those sitting for exams only need faith in one of his special pens. They are anointed, Hungway declared. They are said to work for anyone who is sitting for any test. One parishioner testified, he said, and you can't make this up, my son is not very bright, and I think it will help him with the knowledge he has acquired and this pen from the man of God. I think this is going to work. They are shepherds who feed themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. They are seeking to deceive you for their own selfish gain, which will lead to their destruction, church but it will also lead to the destruction of their followers. Which takes us to our third point this morning. It is only Christ who is authoritative over all. And those who reject him as Lord, they will be condemned. It is only Christ who is authoritative over all, and those who reject him as Lord will be condemned. Verses 14 through 16. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all 
and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers. Malcontents following their own sinful desires, they are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain an advantage. Jude here references Enoch, who is the seventh from Adam. Now, if we look at our genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, we see we have Adam, we have Seth, we have Enosh, we have Kenan, we have Mahalalel, we have Jared, and we have Enoch, the seventh from Adam. And Jude here makes reference to an event or to a prophecy by Enoch that is, again, not recorded anywhere in the Scriptures. Now, some scholars believe that this was an unwritten prophecy by Enoch, but the majority of scholars today believe that Jude is quoting from, again, an ancient Hebrew book. This one is called First Enoch. Now, again, as we talked about earlier, Jude can validate the truth of one statement without affirming the entire resource or the entire book to be from God. And as E.M. Zur, pastor and author, wrote, the Bible does not record the prophecy of Enoch, but Jude was an inspired man and he knew what he was talking about. And as someone who affirms the inspiration of the scriptures, with the time constraint, that explanation is good enough for me this morning. But I want you to notice, church, in verse 14 and 15, the word that comes up over and over again. It says, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The text this morning is clear. Christ will execute his judgment on the ungodly, on all the ungodly people, on all their deeds of ungodliness, on all their ways of ungodliness, and of all the things that they have said in an ungodly way. Nahum 1.3 says that the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Even the smallest sin, even an ounce of sin, deserves eternal damnation. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, Wes, we get it. Wrath, justice, the judgment of God, it is real. You must remember, Brother Christian, We are Christians. We go to church. We believe, Wes, we know this is your first pastorate, but we believe this stuff. You don't need to go over this two weeks in a row. In 2018, Ligonier Ministries released a survey about the state of theology in America concerning individuals who live in America and individuals in America America who consider themselves evangelical. And one of the questions or statement, number 12, said, true or false, even the smallest sin deserves the wrath of God. 
Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Only 39% of evangelicals in the United States agreed with that statement. We're not talking secular individuals throughout the United States. We're talking about individuals who claim to be Christians. Only 39% of evangelicals agree with that statement, that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. That's my question this morning, churches. Do we believe that? Do we believe that this morning? And does it impact our devotion to our Savior? Does it impact then our understanding of our ultimate need for a Savior? Does it impact then how we care for the needs of others? Jesus Christ in Matthew 27 shares that there were only two types of people who will be present when he judges the earth. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, again affirming Jude, he will place the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. Then will the king will say to those to his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did to me. That is group one. And group two, he says, Then then he will say to those to his left, Depart from me. You cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. At judgment, church, there are only two classes of people. There are those who submit to and trust in the righteousness of Christ, who saves them from their sin. They are redeemed by God, and they love God, and they love people. And then there are those who trust in themselves, who submit to their own law, who submit to their own lust, who submit to their own depraved desires. They reject Jesus Christ and ultimately reject man. And these will go away into eternal punishment. That is the reality this morning, church. 
no matter what the pop stars or the famous people out there say, that is the reality. And as we close this morning, I would like to begin by addressing the non-believer who was here first. To the non-Christian that is here this morning, I want you to know that I understand that this may sound confusing. I understand this might sound intimidating. I understand it might sound scary in light of the very real and holy wrath of God toward the ungodly. But non-Christian, please listen carefully to me this morning. God loves you. God loves you. And greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And that is what God did for his children. God came into this world to save sinners from their sins. Sinners, we cannot save ourselves from our sins. So God had to come into this world and save sinners from their sins. And he did it by coming into this world as Jesus Christ who although Christ was tempted with sin just like you and I, he never fell victim to sin. He did not sin once. He lived a perfect life. And he freely went to the cross, bearing the wrath of God that I deserve for my sins and the sins of all of his children. Jesus Christ bore that wrath that we deserve. And he was crushed, and he was crucified, and he died. But sin had no case against Jesus Christ because he never committed sin. And three days later, he rose from the grave. He defeated sin and defeated death once and for all. And non-Christian, for those who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you confess your sins You turn from your sinful ways and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin and who can reconcile, who clothes you in his righteousness, covers you in his perfect life, and brings you back to God through eternity. Let today be the day you turn from your sins and you repent and trust in Jesus Christ alone and you will no longer be a child of God's wrath but you will be made alive in Christ through eternity. Non-Christian, let today be the day. And to the Christian that is here this morning, let me lovingly caution us as well as we approach texts like these. I think it is wise if we approach judgment texts like these with a humble and introspective mindset. Because as Christians, myself included, and I have been guilty of this, we have a tendency to approach these judgment texts maybe with a little bit of arrogance, maybe with a little bit of pride, This idea that, well, I'm saved, I'm good, I have nothing to worry about, I'm not going to hell like the rest of these sinners. Thus, listen carefully. 
Christian, we were dead in our trespasses and sin when Christ suffered for our sins. It was the righteous who died for the unrighteous to bring us back to God. We sing Jesus paid it all. We paid absolutely nothing. Thus, let us approach these texts humbly, but also introspectively. Let us examine our hearts and our actions this morning as well. Douglas Moo pointed out that Christ is coming to judge the ungodly. Now, while no believer is finally in the category of the ungodly, we cannot help but recognize how much ungodliness still clings to us, even in our redeemed state. Jude's reminder that Christ is coming to judge ungodliness then should create in us not a smug satisfaction that we are not going to be among those to be judged, but it should stimulate each of us to ask about the ungodly that is still too much part of our lives. Church, the false teachers that Jude speaks of, they were known for seeing themselves as authoritative, and because of that, they seek to glorify their own sinful flesh. Thus, lovingly this morning, let me ask you, what areas of your life do you still want to lord over? What area of your life do you still want to master over? What area of your life do you refuse to submit to Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ, is he the Lord over your mouths this morning? Or is there that one group at work where you still think it's okay to let the expletives fly? Is Jesus Christ, is he Lord over your eyes this morning? Or is there that one TV series on Netflix where you think it's okay to expose yourself to just a little nudity or just a little filth? Is Jesus Christ, is he Lord over your ears Or is there that one artist where you think it's okay to hear just a little bit of those vulgar and profane lyrics? Is Jesus Christ, is he Lord over what we put into our body? Or is there that one day each month where we think it's okay to throw back the alcohol until we reach that state of drunkenness? Church, as the children of God... What ungodliness are we clinging to still this morning? William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, said, If I had my way, I would not send my workers to four years of college. If I had my way, I would not put them through three years of seminary. If I had my way, I would put all my workers in hell for five minutes. That would be the best theological training that they would ever receive. Church, how different would we live if we were to experience just a taste of God's wrath? The unrighteousness, the coarse words, the foul shows and songs, the immoral immoral nights out, how quickly would we rid rid ourselves of them? Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body, let us examine our lives this morning. 
Let us see the sins we are holding fast to and let us repent of those sins. God, his judgment of the ungodly is real. And with that judgment ringing in our ears, let us, as the children of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And that by testing, we may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. As the children of God, unlike the false teachers, let us be willing to deny ourselves and all of our fleshly desires. Let us be willing to take up our cross, to follow and to submit to Christ, and church anything we may lose. Any Netflix shows we can't watch, any ungodly nights out with the boys, count them all as rubbish if it means we gain Christ and the salvation of our souls. Anything we have to give up for Christ, consider it rubbish if it means we gain Christ and the salvation of our souls. To God be the glory for that church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this text this morning. Lord, how it puts into perspective how perfect, how holy, how, righteousness you, how righteous you are, Father. And Lord, you have given us your law to show us that we are fallen and thus our need for a Savior. And you not only showed us that we need a Savior, Father, you gave us a Savior. You came into this world as Jesus Christ. Father, so often we turn to things in this world that we think can give us pleasure. Father, let us deny those. Let us pick up our cross this morning and follow you. Father, I pray for each one of the dear individuals here. Father, I pray that they learn to love you more, that they learn to love people more. And Father, that you be exalted in their life through the way they turn from the evils of this world and follow you, that you use them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.